Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Udang dhammang sangang masami It's good to remember that um, Buddha's teaching is based upon a, a realization and um, <clears throat> reminder um, that we have the possibility for um, liberation, for unfettered freedom, freedom from stress, suffering, push, freedom from push, pull, um, being agitated, being tense, being sunk, being compressed mm. <clears throat> and the uh, teaching is really based upon this Sometimes, um, you know, we think of happiness which is one way of putting it but happiness is a rather confusing term in a way because it so often it seems to relate to having a particular feeling or experience one gets something something happens and you have something so the happiness is a, very much a kind of an addition mm. yeah. um, it's a kind of a, an extra that we get because of something where uh, you might say something like there's a quality that occurs for us when we feel relaxed which isn't because of having anything it's just because we've dropped something. And there's a sense of, you know, uh, ease that occurs, or even when we are equanimous, not particularly happy, but just at peace with the way things are. Something occurs when we are uh, compassionate. Mm. And we're not uh, we're not fixing or solving things, or but actually just holding the sense of the the pain or the sorrow um, in a spacious way in a non-blaming non-judgmental non-inflictive way we wouldn't call these happy and yet uh, they are, this is the kind of area or, or that we consider in terms of our freedom in the long run it, we live a more fulfilled balanced um, serene fruitful life mm. things like patience isn't exactly a you know, thrilling experience like it's going to be patient together why don't we go out and have some dinner and be equanimous with each other you know, it doesn't sound like much fun does it <laughs> so these aren't particular kind of events that we look forward to and yet one can recognise in, in practice they, they do something they kind of open us into a larger sense of, of what we are and really it's the knob of it that the um, the unconditioned or what the Buddha was pointing to as the freedom from stress and suffering is not through the addition of a new emotional charge of some kind, a new up a new high but just from the opening into a larger sense mm. and leave that pretty vague as to what that is you know. but is it just an idea of something you get a sense if you've been in something you, you come out oh, well yeah and suddenly the tension or the conflict uh, stops because the conflict occurred when one was divided you know between this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what's happening, and you've got some kind of division there, and the ability to actually um, overcome that division, that conflict, that struggle, which can be with with oneself internally. You know, I wish I was another way. Why do I have to be like this? Uh, why is my mind like this? Find some way in which that sense of inner anguish, tension can be relinquished 
It could be through being compassionate or patient. It could be through um, these means, mm. relaxing, just relaxing. Uh, and yet, essentially, what occurs is that the something that seems to drop, the, the tension, the pent-up state, or you might say something that lifts. You know, when you really feel really flattened down, something you comes out of that, and you feel, oh yeah, a larger sense of what I am. This is uh, one way I'd suggest of of understanding the experience that Buddha was pointing to, and that the practices they lead us to that. This is because we can take any any practice or any teaching and use it in the wrong way as something that actually builds up stress in us. I should be more compassionate. That's stressful. Right? You know, just when you hear the tone of that. So yes, compassion is a good thing. Well, I should be more compassionate. It's not a very not a very compassionate statement, is it? <laughs> you know, it's not coming from the place of it's coming from a place of, you know, you're not, you could be and you know, what's wrong with you and so forth. Yeah. And it's about the future. There's a strain there to try to become, so you can't be something in the future, you can be something in the present. So as soon as that sense of what I should be in the future comes up, you can feel the strain of that. Because you're holding a, a virtual reality and trying to make that virtual reality actual. You can't be the future. Future will you're going to be the present. Well, I once caught up with, with a sense of conflict over the past. So we're trying to remember and sort out and lay or relinquish or tidy up or go back to or rerun in somewhere in the past. It is nagging forces. So again, one is in a state of conflict. Yeah, so even things like you know compassion, purity, another beautiful um, sense of purity, cl- clarity, purity, and yet of course when we use a word like that, we think, oh, we're not very pure. So that you tighten up, one tightens up again. Yeah. Mindfulness should be more mindful, not very concentrated, not very good samadhi, can't meditate. So these things that's supposed to be there to actually help us to to um, wake up, come out of this, this uh, tension and frustration and conflict yeah. something in us can hear that and, and grab that in a way that, that makes it a, a place of, of some conflict it turns it the wrong way round well this practice is not really that easy in some ways it's very simple but it's not easy because there's such a powerful force that that was like a magnetic force that turns things around so even you say relax you know you should be more relaxed <laughs> you know why aren't you relaxed enough it t- tightens up again yeah. comparative things this is uh, so comparisons um, future past imperatives Things like that, you know, seem to have this effect upon us. And our mind works very much in those ways. Subtle forms of imperatives, you know, coaxing, wheedling, manipulating. Uh, subtle forms of blaming, resignation, blaming. You know, yeah, well, you're not much good, but put up with that. That's all you can do. That 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 sort of a resignation, isn't it? That's also you can feel that as something that flattens and constricts. So it's really one of the useful things about meditation particularly is to just be able to get a full of sense of, of the patterns that we experience ourselves as. I've talked about this quite a lot. This is called sankharas, formative patterns that we experience ourselves as. 
the obvious one is the pattern of your thoughts you know, churning away you know, the kind of things you think about the buzz of it um, the involvement in it the um, the way the demands of it the way it claims one so much of one's attention the thoughts very magnetic stuff you know? and the thought can ruin your day you know, you can be one thought can suddenly send a whole avalanche through, or a hurricane through, when you're in something. Whee. So it f- can form you. You can think about the past and suddenly remember all the, you know, form yourself in that way. It's with a thought, a few incidents. Mm. So it forms us, and it's got this kind of magnetic energy to it whereby the thought process is a way of convincing and sealing us into the world of our thoughts. The world of what we conceive of. The reactive conceiving. You know, we've got to figure things out. Get things clear, get things understood. You know, that kind of, it's got that imperative quality to it. If you don't get things figured out and sorted out, where are you going to be? Yeah. When I became a, a first took up bhikkhu training, then you know my mother was worried. What are you going to be when you're seventy? I was twenty-five. You know, I don't know what I'll be when I'm seventy. You know, what have you got an old age pension? I don't know. You know, but, but without being careless about it, I might not make it to seventy. I'm twenty-five years old. I can't live now from 25 to waiting, you know, preparing to be 70. I can't live now. I know 70 might happen, it might not happen, but I, I can't actually base my whole life on what it's going to be like when I'm 70. So that kind of vague one, oh, maybe she's right. What will I be when I'm 70? I don't know. Old, I suppose. Dead. Maimed. You know, decrepit. I don't know. Happy. Revered, sagely, I don't know. What's it going to be? And then there's this kind of oh, this aching space. Well, you should have should have some kind of game plan. You can't just leave that aching hole there. It was funny. So when you go against that, the pattern of that, you can feel the the resistance to that. And of course, for most of us, it's not just what's going to happen in 40, 50 years' time, but tomorrow, next week, have we prepared everything? The worry and anxiety are very big for us. And, you know, it's not because of anything particularly wrong, but that's the whole conditioning of our lives, I imagine, and particularly when she starts to be a person with a job and a career and a mortgage and rent and payments. Yeah, so it gets very much um, you know, built into the society with security, pension funds, mm-hmm. terrorists, defence. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to the planet in 50 years' time? You know, global warming, we don't want a desert or it'd be an ice cube. Could be either, couldn't it? They say if the gl- if the ice caps melt, some popping great chunk of the Arctic will float down and cut off the Gulf Stream. Will be in, will be freezing. We had a plan for that. You know, just bought buying a new boiler. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> you have to chop down five times as many trees. Maybe trees won't grow. Perhaps Bikku Sangha will die out, frozen, ice cubes. Yeah. Or it could be the other way around, it could be a desert, hippopotami coming up the River Thames. You know. Savaged by a hippopotamus when I'm going to, over the river Rodder. <laughs> so I should be well, I mean it's, it's, yeah, you laugh about it now. You won't laugh when that time comes, will you? <laughs> you haven't got your hippopotamus deterrent on. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm, you know, I'm, make, I'm making sure I've got my <laughs> these options covered. 
And of course, much of the time it's a lot more mundane and, and uh, believable than that, isn't it? Uh, getting things sorted out. So just so you can contemplate the, the thinking process, the sense of when there's holes in it and what happens there, what fills up the gap and how, how awkward it can be to just have it there. Yeah. I don't know. And does the don't know feel stupid, um, disempowered, weak, uh, vague, uh, frightening? Yeah. Look at the emotional sense in that. Because mm. we're not just bound up in our thoughts. Our thoughts, we need to ride on top of whole emotional patterning. The, the chitti patterning or the formative patterning of the uh, moods and meanings. It's not just particular emotions, but meanings. You know. That is the way we, we feel makes our life up, feel worthy, feel accomplished, feel befriended, feel welcome, feel okay, feel dignity, feel a sense of this, that and the other. Mm. I'm doing the right thing for my life has some purpose, I don't just be futtering away on the planet and then just keel over, there's something meaningful in it. So there's that, that sense we're very much held in that. Yeah. To experience some something, you know, big love or a, or a big project or to have been filled with something, to have done something useful. What's it like when there isn't there? Mm. You know, when we're meditating, when we're meditating, we will have some experience. We can say, "Yeah, you know, during this vasara, I attained this. I had a one of those, and I got this. I got this level during this range retreat. During this last retreat, I, I had this big realization. Yeah. After ten years, I had this thing, and I became one of these." But then in meditation, what does it actually feel like? Sitting there, trying to become something, feeling some got somewhere. You know, and that's one of the big tests of it, isn't it? You can you can do it for a little while. For when you first meditate, suddenly you do get these shifts. Think, oh great, you know, stop thinking, or felt good, or felt you know, a bit more balanced and steady. But then you, after a while, those kind of Initial trial offers, if you like, <laughs> die out, and you're just on the long plateau of, of meditation, as you know, plugging away and you know, working your thoughts and the pains in the body, and sitting there. Well, when's it going to happen? Is this it? And then you know, there should be something going on, something kind of revved up, radiant. Yeah. Some people have it, I'm sure. In books they have it. Why don't I get it? Yeah. So that something you can say, you know, it was worthwhile because this happened. I did this. I had one of those. In um, certainly monastic life, one of the things, but it can be quite dreary in a way. Can feel that way. Because the sense of the monotony, jitters is a little bit exciting, actually. You know, things happen, you have events. And then we get quite excited, you know, big event around the boiler, event around the computer, event around some issue or another we got going, we get a little fuzzy about, you know. We get these kind of things can happen, but, but, um, they, they, they don't seem like much to people outside because, you know, our, our base bottom line is a lot drearier than most people's. 
So what doesn't seem like an event to you is, is really a big thing for us. <laughs> You're quite excited. <laughs> and when you get raisins in your gruel in the morning or something like that, you know, should this be done or is it improper? Is it giving way to carnal lust to have raisins in your porridge? Or is it healthy or whatever? Well, it's important to talk about these things. Um, <laughs> and so the, 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 the monotony of it, you know, can give that feeling of, yeah. what's the point? I remember certainly in my first few years of practice, it was very, I was in a very dreary place because mm-hmm. I was completely unconnected to any events at all. I was sat in this little hut. And it wasn't, here I am, wrapped in mystic splendor. <laughs> Finally getting to samadhi. I was just sitting in my mind, kind of rattling away the same stupid thoughts, day in, day out. Playing the same records, day in, day out. The same music in my head, day in, day out. And shut up. Shut up, it wouldn't, mm, same kind of nagging things going on. And, it's, and then it, it's kind of starting to gradually slow down, like a tape being played slightly slower than the normal speed, so it's kind of whining. That kind of thing. <laughs> so it wasn't even that passionate anymore. And I remember seeing, there was this old monk who lived in the next Kuti to mine. We only, our Kutis were quite close, the little huts we lived in, quite close, only a couple of metres apart. And he, were, he was really on his last legs, this old fella. Looked like he was made out of matchsticks, skinny. And the, one of the other monks used to come and give him a drip feed, wire him up with something, give him a U, UV and drip feed him um, to keep him going. And so he was very old. And in the daytime, he, his practice, he'd walk around his kuti. But it'd take him maybe an hour to walk around his hut because he'd walk about three steps and he'd lean on the wall. And he'd kind of crawl along a bit more and he'd sit down. And when he sat down, it's just like somebody just dropped this sack onto the ground. He just sat, his whole body just kind of slumped. And he could kind of pull himself up and he'd walk around a bit another three or four paces and he'd kind of lean against the wall a bit. I thought, well, that's what I'm going <laughs> to... This is what I've got to look forward to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is the aim of the holy life. You know. if, I, if I stay with this, this is what my life's going to be about, walking around a hut, uh, you know, feeling really dried out. Actually, it's been a lot, uh, amazingly, a lot richer and, than that, you know. But so the, the the dreariness is really just the mind's inability to to sensitize to finer and more refined things and feel the sense of of some of the beauty of, of the subtlety of experience when the mind becomes clearer and cleaner. So you see, this is kind of a very powerful emotive habit to find something with a strong thing in it, you know, strong push in it, strong pizzazz in it. Uh, but in, in, so in meditation often you've just got to, got to kind of practice just trying to sensitize more to the immediate, to the subtler senses of what's happening in the body, and breathing in and out, you know, which is very challenging actually, because it's, in some ways there's so little in it, and yet extremely fulfilling because once because it, your mind has to eventually get more and more sensitive and subtle and attuned to actually pick up the flow and then the very quality of the the mind that is subtle and attuned is 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 very fresh and delightful it doesn't have anything but it by itself it feels fresh it feels bright and this is what one begins to begin sense in meditation it's not about having anything it's about just being more fully present and the, the things one has are often the uh, either attachments of some kind or 
pains or, or just or just delusions. Something you can hold on to. It's really it's about, you know, the non holding, the cleanliness, if you like, that sense of ease comes like that. So there's a tremendous patterning to to you know gather ourselves around particular experiences. Of course, we do this in a physical way as well. This isn't just physically acting, but the way that uh, our bodies um, tense up, mm, fidget, um, feel unrestful, don't feel like places you can just be in without doing something, or leaning on something, or fiddling with something. Or falling asleep, <laughs> you know, just as a place to be. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of nervous energy in the body, and although this is some seems a lot less um, powerful than the moods of the heart and the thinking in the mind, this is often it's very this very level where we just begin to sense some very simple simple th- truths about what we experience the dynamics we experience ourselves in. Beauty of the particularly when you approach it through the body, through bodily meditation, meditation on the body, is you're handling a dynamic in a way it's got no particular topic to it. Where you know, it's just the sense of being a bit charged up, or a bit flat, or a bit tight, or very tight, you know, or very flat, you know, or kind of restless and ill at ease and itchy. So you, you get this sense of that, and, uh, and then just learning to sit with that, feel it out, feel into the body, and begin to release that. And it's uh, interesting to to recognise how that what's happening on a bodily level is often directly related to what's happening on the emotional or the thinking. So when one's thinking a lot, often the body is quite uh, either we're tensed up or not, we're even aware of our bodies, the bodily sense. You know, you're up in your head. And if you're up in your head, you're kind of just acknowledging, where am I? Where's my body now? And you might feel something like tension in your hands, or a lot of sensations up in the eyes. Oh, yeah. And then recognizing a little bit uh, charged up, tense here. And then what happens if I breathe out and focus on the what's happening in the diaphragm, loosening the diaphragm, loosening the abdomen, loosening the eyes, the tension to tightness of the eyes, loosening the face, the tension in the face muscles, relaxing the jaw, noticing it definitely has an effect on the specific pattern of the thought, if I'm angry, obviously, or if I'm excited, um, or depressed, and it has also effect on the particular topic of the thought, and then even the the um, compulsiveness of the thought. What does it actually need to keep thinking? It's rather like you begin to realise that the 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 way why a thought keeps going on is because something in us really requires a sense of, of coherence. It's something to rest, something to be. See why our minds are so often trying to sort out our lives, the future, the world, the place we live, the people we're with, and kind of figure it out, get it working, figure it out. It's like something that's looking for a nest, a place to be, or either a place to be or an identity to be. So we keep thinking and picking and sorting and tidying and you know, adjusting, ruminating. And it's not necessarily purely about ourselves. It's something we're connected to, a job we're doing, you know, 
person we feel close to, things that kind of are in our world. And so though it's like that, actually the, the overall sense is that whatever the topic is, the overall sense is that the, the, the thinking about gives us a feeling of, it's telling us who we are in some way. The energy is there. And I'm in that. And to stop it feels kind of, ooh, weird. And it doesn't stop. When you experience the presence of the body, it's like you can you can be in that. You've got that sense to dwell in, and you can rest in that. And the need to the need to be a thought, or to have things sorted out on a conceptual level, suddenly drops. And obviously, there are things that need to be thought about, but the ongoing the drive to do so stops. You, know, you can pick it up or you can let it go. And one recognises there are things that need to be thought about and considered. But when it's going on, every moment of one's waking life, you know, most of it is not necessary. <laughs> it's just stuff. You know, why is it so compulsive? Because something needs a place to go and when we're not in our bodies we go up into our heads. So you really begin to see and feel that sense of being in the body as a kind of refuge. Because the body has no present, no future, no past. Doesn't have a time sense. So it only has a direct reality, there's no virtual realities to it. There's no direct reality. That's very finite and grounding. But as you come into the body, you also begin to recognize that um, there there are energies there that mean that the body is sensing a certain certain emotional um, presence, whether we feel um, welcome or not. So the body often senses things like hostility, Safety. Mm. You know, it's there as its fundamental intelligence is to tell you whether you're safe or not. Because this is the thing that gets hit, isn't it? The body. Nobody's going to hit your thought. They hit your body. So the body's kind of got sensors out. Is it okay here? And <clears throat> so there's a kind of like certain kind of emotional quality to it emotional intelligence, bodily. So it's very much the case that uh, um, the real need to find a quality of comfort, you know, not just internally, but externally, there's one is in a place that is comforting. A place that, or a situation, or what's around me is safe, free from harm, benevolent. Very important. Um, cultivation is what see this as a way of taking refuge you know actually putting your body in a refuge place a place where you can breathe out mm-hmm. I don't have to have a, something be on guard and it's particularly significant my feeling is because a lot of the time actually you do have to be on guard one feels that you don't feel that you're walking in a, in a, around in a, a space that's free and benevolent even if it's not actually malevolent still there are things that jump and things that make noises and things that crash and cars that speed and lights that flash and things that buzz and uh, people moving fast. So the body is kind of like, you know, recognizing the sense of being on guard against the ongoing impingement. And it also, uh, it's an instinctive, has an instinctive intelligence. 
So when you hear a loud crash, that's you're just hearing something, your body jumps, doesn't it? It means loud crash could mean something dangerous, so it tightens up. Now actually the sound doesn't touch your body, the sound is just a heard thing. And yet the body immediately interprets that as well, it's dangerous, so it tightens up, you hear a loud crash, you jump. Um, sometimes um, you, know, you see something shocking when your body tightens up, you see an accident. What you've done is you see something, nothing's actually touched your body, and your body tightens up. You have a sense of alarm. You see an accident, you see someone hurt, somebody bleeding, and you feel the body kind of tightens up, gets quite agitated. So there's this uh, way in which the body carries, a, a, or the emotional intelligence feeds into the immediate body reactions. Now, a lot of the time, you know, what we're receiving are minor senses of alarm, shock, distress, uh, you know, things flashing, things jumping. Um, and also, huge amount of isolation. If you're in a, a city, walking around, then in Britain, most people will not speak to you or acknowledge your presence on a street so there's a sense of everybody's in a kind of cocoon of I don't know what's going on out there but I'm just kind of closing down it's too much to be open to so one closes down, the body closes down because there's too much going on to really attune to so the overwhelm of contact the overwhelm of impressions not necessarily that they're, they're hostile, but just it's too much to handle. means that there's a sense of closing up. And we get this feeling that the body just begins to almost numb out. I mean, so then we can't feel our bodies, we go up into our heads, we're thinking. And that's what you, you see very much in, in crowded situations. You know, a trainer who's got their mobile phones out talking to you can't talk to the person next to them, you can talk to the mobile phone, uh, reading something. These are all ways of the, the conceptual thinking energy, which is to do with speaking. We go to that. We can think about something, we can read something, talk to something. But to just be in one's body and open up to that is quite a challenge because this, you just, the feeling there's a lot going on that you, you can't be sure about. <coughs> This all has a very powerful effect as a long-term um, conditioning process. There's nothing massively dramatic. It's a long-term saturation you know, experience in a realm where you, you're, you're cut off from your, your feeling of freedom or okayness. And you can't put it on a topic. You can't, so that, because there's not any particular topic that triggers it, there's nothing particularly to take away that will change it because it's, it's made out of thousands and thousands of tiny little things and, and things that don't happen. Yeah. So it's the thousands of times of, of people not contacting, not being uh, welcome, not knowing, um, the th- thousands of those, and all the, the moments of... Um, non-expression of goodwill non-expression of interest non-expression of friendliness by expression I don't just mean verbal but a sense of some you know ease of being uh, someone whose energies are not moving away from you so all that uh, has an effect on us which means that there's quite a powerful feeling of a background of mistrust or no background of trust a basic sense of not okay and it's so could be so normalized that one doesn't even recognize it because we've never had an experience of being okay apart from momentary because something happened yeah so I was, felt great because I went out, had this night out, it was wonderful. I had this fantastic time in so and so, so and so, that's why I felt good. 
but we haven't had the feeling of feeling okay just you know just being around with other people when we're other people then very often the process is to talk about what's not okay or agitation of some kind to distract ourselves so the assumption is because one's sitting in a kind of a, a bath of vague uncertainty and not okayness of non-connection non non-warmth non-vitality is that nagging well I need something to get or have or do or make or get to or yeah to make it feel good I need something added to this to make me feel more alive or better or more useful or maybe I should do something to myself to make myself sharper or wiser or yeah something you know I'm going to do something to make myself more um, you know find somewhere I could be a bit more of something Uh, so that's the fundamental basis of craving craving to become Mm. what I've noticed is that uh, following that in ways that perhaps uh, not blameworthy, you know, doing good things. You know. And yet from that sense of an unspoken sense of dis-ease or, or ill at ease, make it better so that I'll be okay. And it doesn't really get okay. It shifts, the same bedrock sense continues, finds new topics, but continues. What would you like to just be okay as you are right now? What would that take? What would it take to to just float the possibility that now, with all the unresolved questions in one's life, all the possibilities of what one could, should do, could do, will do, might happen, uncertain as yet. We could just float the question maybe that fundamentally it's only going to be in the present that you really feel okay and, you can, and that could, there's something you can do right now that would um, bring that around. This is the main um, unusual bit, if you like, of the Buddha's teaching. This is actually, this is really quite subtle because you have to do something in order to get to a point where that question makes sense. You can actually take that question on. You've got to sit and calm down enough. So so that, that kind of question of what right now is stopping me? What right now is barring me from feeling okay? Because if you're too busy and agitated, then you, that question goes in, oh, uh, because the washing machine's broke down, or the, the cat's sick, or, you know, it just bounces off again. Because it doesn't actually penetrate through the thinking mind right down into the, almost the bodily sense of apprehension or, you know, so the Buddhism, you have two, two aspects of the teaching. One is how to become something. And then the second one is how to become nothing. <laughs> how to stop becoming, put it another way. It's not nihilism. It's how to, how to quench becoming. The first aspect is how to become something that's steady, stable, agile, skillful. Mm and then how to stop becoming. How to get a pattern where one feels comfortable, balanced, um, you know, capable, if you like, not just pushed, overwhelmed, flooded, but capable. And then from that place to really 
ask that question. And there are several questions you can ask, you know, that, that really mean this to come to the same thing. They point to this very unresolved quality of wanting to be or to become. And so one question that can do that for us is when when we when we are we have some balance, we've taken refuge, we've got precepts, we we can come into our the fullness of our bodies, our hearts, our minds, you know, we can actually sense those, attune to those, feel them out. And, you know, what now? Making it stopping. Then it could be, well, I've got this thing to do by tomorrow and I'm busy, and I've got a lot going on, if I could just get that sorted out. So, right, okay, that's what it is. There could be quite a few of them, actually. My little list, to-do list. And then we take that, right, okay, so this is the time. What does it feel like? What does it feel like? Well, feels nagging, feels nervous, and feels agitated. And, right, and then how does you, where does it feel in your body? You might notice, I feel quite a lot of energy up in my chest and running down my arms into my hands. Yeah, I feel quite, notice my left eye seems quite, pulsing, nothing much happening inside of my face. See, just feeling out the body in that and recognizing, you know, that pattern of unokayness is th- these three references, the verbal, mental, if you like, the emotional and the physical or somatic. And this kind of sense into how could I what's it need what does the body need right now to feel okay? in and of itself and sometimes it's something like well like breathing out you know mm. could be relaxing the jaw would be a good idea and these are often not conceptual it's just once you ask the body hey just just you know loosen up now are you are you is there bits of you that aren't here or bits of you that are working too hard so you often find in bodily awareness that parts of your body seem really energized and tense and flaring, and other bits have just disappeared from your awareness. And uh, in meditation you learn the skill of sweeping and breathing through the whole body, so you get a sense of what the whole balance pattern feels like. Once you know that, once you've got that, you've got that as a kind of reference that helps you to know, wait a minute, this is, I feel like there's a kind of a real band of tension in my guts. Yeah, I don't can't feel my back at all. So you begin to have a sense of where you're going off, and then, oh yeah, come to the bigger, fuller sense of the body. And often that is that just shift of energy helps to shift the whole dynamic process with which one's mind and heart are held. And I find this very useful. Because you, once you, if you just think about your thoughts, it goes on. You know, you can think, well, what I need, I need to be more appreciative of myself, or I need to be this, you know. but that doesn't do it. You know, you think, well, you're a nice guy, you're great, you know, you know so what? <laughs> you know, it's just, it doesn't necessarily do it. You know, I know all the answers, that's the frustrating thing. But knowing all the answers doesn't mean you realize them in the present moment. Say all the words, the ideas, and good too. But to actually, to not know and have the answers come out from out of nowhere, to me this is the real um, fruit of the practice, is that, so I don't, you know, I don't want to know, actually. I don't want to have another great phrase an idea, so I say that I should do this, I should be more this, or you know, run another idiom or Buddhist axiom into my mind to make me something else I've got to remember and live up to and support and salute. But just to go into the place of stress and ask the place of stress 
What do you want? It's up to you. You can hang on there if you like. Make yourself at home. Stress, you know. Not trying to get rid of you or be nice to you. Just, just, just be there. What do you want? You want to go and doing that? Or what? And it's sometimes it's just like handing it over to to the fundamental intelligence in a in our systems. And it, rather than leading from the head down. And uh, when it's placed in the right way, the question, the offer, something there wakes up to its fullness. As you feel something shift. Oh. Or picks up. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then the, your thinking can work that out from there. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's completely un. But it's, it's led from a place outside of thought. You know, the thought process takes you in there. What do you want? What's happening? You know, where is it now? And then the end result may be, oh, well, I need to do this, or stop doing that, or whatever. But the actual um, realization process is, is, is outside of the thought. That's why it's very important to, to uh, you know, not have to have these thought patterns sorted and, and, and learn to live without them to the empty spaces where the empty space feels, feels frightened or uncomfortable you go into the bodily sense of that and what does one need very often what's needed is, is just um, recognize a feeling of warmth I need to have something around me that feels good mm sense of friendliness, kindness. Or non-aversion. And the feeling of unwelcome, um, unattractive, ignoble, pointless, useless. Um, you know, the indifference that we can live in. We can live in a kind of energy that's indifferent to our welfare. When you live in a situation where you feel um, worthy, your body picks up. And it's, uh, you know, so a lot of our practice is actually just the tuning to some of these, uh, these places in us that are either tense and pressurized or starved. And you're asking, what do you really want now? You know. So that that which we have become, that shell that we have become, the thing that encases us with its uh, afflictive patterns, that shell can be broken. We open into a larger sense. It's configured with uh, well-being, kindness, compassion, and uh, letting go. You could almost uh, say or recognize what what when there's some sense of when you come into this basic sense of stress this is something that one needs to just be befriend be befriended by this is something that needs to be uh, looked upon with compassion or is it something that just needs to be dropped 
And it's often the last one that we find most difficult because it isn't necessarily part of our language, our emotional language. Generally dropping means I don't care, indifferent, why bother, pointless, get out of my way, that kind of, you know, it's, it's a discarding. Where this is, letting go is the dropping of a sense of you're free now. You can be free now. You don't have to carry the weight. Did you ever consider that your life might not be a, like having to carry a weight for 70 years, 80 years? It could be free. And this, of course, is the message that is not around at all. Everybody's got to work, plan, figure, sort out. So. But to give yourself that message, to play with that message, even in little bits, you know, you know, you could be without, you could be free with it, you could be apart from this, you'd be okay. This is perhaps the, not that it's necessarily the only thing, but it may be the one that we most often need to, to remember, because it doesn't come easily to our emotional intelligence. It's the bit that we've been least informed about, educated in, informed about. There's a tremendous need for uh, loving kindness and compassion to be held in that, to be seen in that, to see others from that, to see oneself through that, to always, you know, see that the the, the afflictions that come through being hypercritical of oneself or others, being judgmental of oneself and others, being indifferent to oneself and others, seeing things in terms of function and purpose and product and you know achievement rather than in terms of are you okay, do you feel well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you can, really important to develop that sense. But then also the, the, the most missing bit is often you could be free. There might not be a should to, should have to, should be, ought to. There might not be one of those. It might be okay to be alive. And we're not using that as a kind of, or purely as a kind of ideological position, but just as a, as a message in contemplation, when you come into the places where you can feel the stuck, or the push, or the held back, is there something there that's saying you can't be free, or you, sh- you shouldn't be free, it's wrong to be free, it's wrong to be what you are? Can you... Feel where that is and let go of it. It's always a present moment practice, realization. So we're looking very much in just the energies and the patterns that hold us in the present moment. When there's the one is allowed the permission for freedom, then of course one is free to act. And we can act, manifest, pick things up, you know, apply ourselves. It's not about ir- being irresponsible and selfish, but it's about coming from a place of freedom in what we do. This is a, uh, to me, this is a very uh, great sense of fulfillment because, and actually, it it's it covers a whole range of things. You know, it's 
good to work hard if you're doing that from a free place. It's good to take it easy if you're doing it from a free place. It's good to, you know, you can do a lot of things. It's not about necessarily all being easy, happy, laid back, loose, fun. But everything approaching from a place, you choose that. You pick that up. You apply yourself to it. Uh, and the, the, enorm- the range of that, uh, that possibility is what makes it the most boundless uh, freedom, fulfillment for our lives. Andamaya andamagataya sa <laughs>